Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Om Magyantamandasya Gyananjala Shalakaya Chakshun Militam Dinna Tasmai Shri Govinamaha Shri Chaitanya Manupastam Stapidam Yenavutvali Swayam Upakaram Ayam Dhanati Svabhadantikam Namam Vishnabhada Kishabhasa Vutali Shimate Bhaktivedanta Svaminiti Namine Namaste Saswati Deme Govani Pachayne Nivashishashunyavari Pashatari Shatarina Vanshakapa Tuvasha Kripa Sindhivevacha Hadita Nampavane Bhyo Vaishnave Bhyo Namona Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Pavanityananda Shri Advaita Garada Shri Vasari Govaktapanna Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Ramo, Hare Ramo, Ramo Ramo, Hare Hare. Okay, welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us once again. So today we have our third and final session. And I was really tossing up what to discuss. There's, there's so many nice things which I would like to share with all of you but we have to make some choices here. So let us first of all remember, yesterday we were mainly talking about the first secret of success, namely mindfully turning towards Krishna and calling out in desperate helplessness, right? Like a child cries for his mother in a very helpless and desperate way. And we were even making, doing a japa exercise. And before we were discussing also the points, how to work our way out of the swamp of inattentiveness. So now before we want to touch upon the second secret of success, I do want to read you one of my favorite little things about Prabhupada as an example how Prabhupada was exactly um, demonstrating this mood of helplessly crying out to Krishna. And this is from a book called Our Shalom Prabhupada, A Friend to All. It is a compilation by Mula Prakriti Devi Dasi. I don't know if you have this book there in London. It's a very nice book. Because Mula Prakriti, she is disciple of Prabhupada, but she is not even in this world anymore, not in that body anyway. She left her body even before that book was published. But she had this amazing idea to go around in India, in, in Delhi and in Vrindavan, Navadweep, Mayapur, and she was interviewing all kinds of personalities who knew Prabhupada before he went to the Western world. And this is such an amazing book because it gives us insights into some secrets of Prabhupada's bhajan, which he would have never ever shared with anybody. But these personalities, you know, they, they share and it gives us really some insights how Prabhupada was struggling how he was preparing for this impossible mission to bring Krishna consciousness all around the world. So in this book, I have photocopied a few pages, which I usually 
carry in my suitcase so I don't have to um, carry the whole book. You know, when you live out of a suitcase, you have to be very uh, mindful of what, what you carry with you. So this is the story. You, some of you may know this already, but still, I mean, I've read it so many times and every time it is for me so uh, heart moving. This is a story which the Pudari from Advaita Acharya's house in Shantipur tells. And yeah, so I will read this to you. It won't even take that long. Um, but uh, oh, you're even giving <laughs> the link there. Okay, good. <laughs> yes, you should all get this book. It's really amazing. So let, let me read this to you, this one story. So it says here, this story was heard in Mayapur in 1980. A man came to the Iskons Chaitanya Chandradoya Mandir, carrying with him a copy of the Back to Godhead article about Srila Prabhupada, entitled A Lifetime in Preparation. So now he is telling. Just recently, an amazing realization occurred to me that I wanted to share with devotees everywhere. I have been the Pujari and Sevite at the house of Advaita Chaya for many years. I was also there back in the 1940s and 50s. So that's before we were even in this body. At that time, I noticed that one Grihasta Bengali devotee used to come to the temple quite regularly. He was dressed in a white kadi dhoti and kota, and he always came alone. He would sit in the back of the mandir without speaking, and he would chant Harinam on his mala very quietly and deeply. I noticed that he came on the weekends, usually once every month or two in a regular way. After chanting there for many hours, he would always thank me when he left. His presence was profound, and I became attracted to him. Since his devotions were solitary, I never spoke to not to disturb him. Sometimes I happened to notice that while he was chanting, his eyes would be full of tears and his voice would be choked up. Then for a very long time, he did not come. However, I distinctly recall that in August of 1965, I saw a saffron-cloth sannyasi sitting in the back of the mandir. In a moment, I recognized him to be my old friend from before. Again, he sat for a long time chanting Hare Krishna. I could see his beads moving, his eyes closed in concentrated devotion. He was weeping unabashedly even more than he used to while he took the holy name. Finally, as evening came, he paid his Dandavat Pranam for a long time. When he arose, he came up to me and again thanked me for my seva here at Advaita Bhavan. I asked him, who are you? I remember you from so long ago. He replied, my name is Abhayajana Vinda Bhaktivedanta Swami Maharaj. I am an unworthy disciple of His Divine Grace, Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, my Divine Master. 
I have been coming here for such a long time because my Gurudev has given me an impossible mission. His desire was for me to go across the ocean to the Western countries and spread the sublime teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There are countless souls there who have never heard of Sri Sri Radha Krishna, and so they are suffering greatly. I have not known how this mission of his will be successful, so I have been coming here to the special house of Advaita Chaya, where he, Nityananda Prabhu, and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would gather together to plan the Sankirtan movement. It was here that they launched the inundation of love of God that swept India and continues to this day. Thus, I have been praying here very earnestly that they will all give me their mercy, that somehow they will empower me and guide me. I want to satisfy my Gurudev's desire, but I'm feeling unqualified to do this. As he was speaking to me, I saw tears falling down on his cheeks again. Then he continued, tomorrow, I am leaving for Calcutta to go upon a ship across the ocean to America. I do not know what will befall me there, but I'm praying most earnestly here for help. Then he very humbly asked me for my blessings. I was indeed moved by this Vaishnava sincerity and determination as I watched him depart upon his journey. It was a few years later that I began noticing for the first time white Vaishnavas coming to Advaita Bhavan, very first time in history. They were wearing dhotis and saris and chanting on Tulsi Mala. I never spoke to any of them, but then one of them gave me this Back to Godhead magazine from America. As I was looking at the photographs, Suddenly, I recognized a painting of the founder, Charya, who had brought Krishna consciousness to the West. It was a picture of my friend, Bhaktivedanta Swami, who had come and prayed here so many times before. Then I realized that he had actually accomplished that impossible mission of his Gurudev. I saw that it was indeed him starting alone and without pretense, who had accomplished this glorious miracle against all odds. As soon as I saw this, I came here to this temple in Mayapur to tell you this information. I know that he has gone from this world now, but I thought perhaps you might want to know this story about you and my beloved Chilopopat. Very nice. Hmm? Yes, amazing. You know that the day, the day before Prabhupada got onto the Jaladuta, he spent the whole day praying, chanting, helplessly crying out to Krishna. That's how he prepared himself. You know, that's and these are really secret. You know, secret things of Prabhupada's personal bhajan, which he would never ever share with anybody. 
right? Prabhupada would not say, oh, guess what? You know, before I went to America, I was praying all day at Advaita No, that, that they are very secret, uh, you know, things of Prabhupada's personal life, which he would not share with anybody. And only by the mercy of this, this book, you know, we get some little insights how Prabhupada was preparing himself. So we can just imagine, you know, if we would fly to America or India or something, once the corona crisis is over, it hopefully will be possible again. So the day before we would go to India, we probably would have so many more important things to do than chanting all day and praying for mercy. Isn't it? Yes, yes. But that was Prabhupada's most important thing, that he was simply praying for blessings, for guidance, for mercy. Yes. And I want to read you one more little story, which is even shorter, but it is just as amazing as this one from the same book. I'm just picking out two paragraphs here from a whole story. So this is a personality in Vrindavan who was living right next to Radha Damodar temple. As we know, that's where it all started. Prabhupada's rooms are still there. I mean, many of these personalities who were interviewed, they're not even around anymore. They have also left. You know? So this Mula Prakriti Madhuji, she just had this amazing idea just at, at the nick of the time, you know, just in time before everybody departed, who knew Prabhupada from these early days. So he is saying, Prabhupada spread this Krishna consciousness by the mercy of Rupa Goswami. Prabhupada used to pray to Rupa Goswami, you please give me your mercy. And then he got that mercy. I know this because I saw some things he did at Radha Damada temple. My room is still located in the same place as it was then, in 1964 or 65. Many times in the middle of the night, at midnight or one or two in the morning, I would hear a voice crying from inside the courtyard by Rupa Goswami Samadhi Mandir. That voice was calling out and crying, but I did not know what it was because I was trying to take rest in the middle of the night. <laughs> But one night on the full moon, I heard that voice again. So I climbed up to the roof of our house and looked down into the Radha Damada courtyard. I saw something very amazing. Srila Prabhupada was sweeping the courtyard of Rupa Goswami Samadhi. He was bending down with a small broom. And as he swept the ground by the Samadhi, he was crying out, Hey Rupa, hey Sanatan, hey Guru Dave, please give me your mercy. Without your mercy, I cannot do anything. Give me the mercy, give me the strength that I may fulfill your orders. Then I realized that it was him who almost every night was calling out as he was sweeping like this. So, also another amazing story, you know, which gives us these insights, how Prabhupada was preparing himself, helplessly crying out 
to Guru, to Krishna, to the previous Acharyas, you know, feeling unqualified, even though he is the most qualified, he's Shaktivesha avatar. But that's the humility of a Vaishnava, that even though he has all good qualities, he feels himself completely hopelessly dependent on the mercy of Guru and the previous Acharyas. Yes, so he, he perfectly demonstrated you know, that, that mood of calling out in helplessness. This is how he was preparing himself. And I'm often thinking to myself, if we would just have one drop of this mood, then we probably could do so much more for Prabhupada's mission. But our unfortunate situation is that we think we are all so qualified and we can do it all. You know, and we, we are driven by the ego motivation and we think we got it all down. So and then Krishna says, all right, you think you can do it without me, so then good luck, you do it, you know. But the thing is really, you know, if we want to reach people's hearts and transform people's hearts, we need the empowerment of the Lord. It is said in the, in the Chaitanya Charamita that without that empowerment and, and mercy of the Lord, we cannot actually spread the glories of the holy name. You know, so we may be able to do some impressive performance there and people may applaud and all that, but to actually transform people's hearts, we cannot do that out of our own uh, strength. We need that empowerment. And we get that when we hopelessly call out to Krishna as Prabhupada was doing, you know, very nice. Yes, so let us move on in our discussion. Uh, to begin with, I want to quickly share this nice little thing which His Grace Burijan Prabhu and also Sachinanda Swami came up with. They came up with this Kirtan Arrow. Have you heard of the Kirtan Arrow? Some are nodding their heads here. Kirtan arrow. It is based on a on a on a verse in the seventh canto of the Bhagavatam, where the analogy is given that the Mahamantra is the bow, the li pure living entity is the arrow, and the target is the Supreme Lord. This is in seven fifteen. 42, if you want to note it down, 7th Kento, 15th chapter, verse 42. There's this little analogy, Mahamantra being the bow who has that potential to shoot the arrow of the pure living entity, has to be pure living entity, not just any living entity. So pure living entity to the target of the Supreme Lord. So and with this analogy from the Bhagavatam, they came up with this kirtan arrow. And the, the word arrow, each letter stands for one principle, one key, which, which favors the full revelation of the holy name. And I find this such a genius formula. I always use this in my holy name retreats. I find it just so perfect and suitable that I don't need to come up with anything else. This just works very nicely. And the A stands for alignment or attentiveness, we can say. 
on the level of the body, mind, and heart. So that was the first session. We briefly touched upon that in the Holy Name retreats. Of course, we go much more into details and all that. But anyway, the alignment or attentiveness was the first session. Then yesterday's session was the first R, standing for relationship. Chanting the Holy Name with that awareness of a relationship with the Lord, that Krishna is there and we have to turn towards him and call out to him and long for the relationship. That's the first R in the arrow. So, and then today, in the last half an hour we have left, or 25 minutes, next uh, uh, R is, what is the next R? Rendering service. Sorry, I just had a blackout. <laughs> Rendering service. Yes, that we should chant the holy name in a service mood. And not only that, but we should long to serve. So we should not only long for the relationship, but now the relationship is a little more defined. What kind of relationship? Longing to serve. That's the second R, rendering service. And then the O stands for opening the heart and W, welcoming the divine gift. That's the Kirtan arrow. Yes, so I find this just such a good formula because we always have to go back to this alignment and attentiveness you know, on the level of body, mind, and heart. That's where we always have to start again and again, each holy name retreat. Like in Ukraine, I've been conducting these holy name retreats for many years. And there's devotees who have attended five, six, seven holy name retreats. And I'm always doing basically the same thing. But the emphasis is on experiencing the holy name, not just getting information, but the experience. And every time, depending on how we absorb ourselves and you know how much we concentrate, how, we, how much we apply ourselves, we get a different experience. So it's every time a new thing. And every time I realize we have to start with the alignment, you know, because that sneaks in all the time that we become slack in our chanting habits and we allow this inattentiveness to enter. And, you know, like we discussed in the first session, we do so many other things while we chant. So, yes. And um, yeah, we don't have that much time left, but let me just quickly, you know, that's the second secret of success, that we don't only turn towards Krishna and long for the relationship. And yesterday we explained that establishes the relationship if we actually long for it, right? That we said very simple and practical and logical. If we long every day for two hours while we change our japa, if we long for a relationship, so something will happen in this relationship. It will become more tangible reality in our life, right? So now comes the second aspect that we are longing to serve. Please, Krishna, let me serve. All I want to do is serve, 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 like that. So now, 
again, interesting to understand, you know, if same logical, practical principle, if we actually long to serve every day for two hours while we chant the holy name, surely the day will come where we get the point. I am a servant, nothing else, right? Very, very simple, very logical, you know? So if we really chant the holy name with this mood of longing to serve, then all the, all the upadis, all the false designations will be scrubbed away from our heart. Yes, false ego. That's why I've got a whole chapter of the chanting in the false ego book, because the chanting and the Vaishnava etiquette and culture, these are the two tracks, how we dissolve our false ego. Krishna gives us the recommendations through Vaishnava etiquette, but that alone is not enough. We can be very cultured, you know, following all the Vaishnava etiquette and, and so on. But parallel has to be the, the, the chanting. And the chanting alone is also not enough because we may be chanting for lifetimes, but if we always fall back onto, onto the ego patterns of behaviors and uh, don't follow the Vaishnava etiquette, no result, then the, the false ego will also not be dissolved. So that's what I'm presenting in that book, you know. So, yes, second secret of success is longing to serve. All I want to do is serve, serve, serve. So now sometimes devotees ask, but I'm already doing so much service. How can I ask for more service? I'm already doing whatever I can do. So, no. This is not the point. We are not asking for more service. We are not asking for any particular service. We also don't want to plan our service <laughs> and make, make the job at time a plan making session, how we plan our service. No, we simply want to cultivate this mood of selflessly sacrificing ourselves in service like the Vaishnav humility uh, gives us this mood that actually what I'm doing is nothing. I haven't even started serving yet. I'm just playing around here, you know. So when will the day, day come when I actually serve, when I really give myself with heart and soul, selflessly, without expecting anything in return? So we simply want to, it's like when we boil down the milk and we make worthy, you know, we make it thicker and sweeter. So we want to boil down our service mood and condense it and get rid of all the watery stuff there, but really condense it and make it thick and sweet. That's basically what it means that we should chant longing to serve. And I mean, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he makes this heavy statement in the book Amrita Vani. Maybe some of you know it. This is also a very nice book with all kinds of sutras of Bhakti Siddhanta, really well, powerful. So there he says, chanting without longing to serve is useless. Wow, useless. Oh my God. 
you know, how much useless chanting have we done? Probably a lot, at least for my humble self, I've done a lot of useless chanting in my life. Because, yeah, I, I never knew these things, you know. So it is useless on the absolute platform because it will not free us from our false ego and our upadis, our false designations. We may get, you know, some relief of uh, reactions of sinful activities or some liberation or something, but we don't want that. We, we are striving for bhakti. We want to get out of here, you know, and on that absolute highest platform, chanting without longing to serve is useless. Yes, because it will not free us from, from the false designations. That's the whole point, you know? Yes. And I mean, sometimes devotees ask, um, you know, when, when will we actually find out what relationship, what eternal relationship we have with the Lord? You know, did that idea ever enter your mind you know how will i find out you know whether i'm a blade of grass or whatever in the spiritual world i mean we we should ask ourselves these questions of course not in a sahajia mood or something but we should ask ourselves this question how will i find out so it is again so simple and and logical actually that when we look at the five main rasas, Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, and Madhurya, yeah, the neutral one we skip. So Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhurya, right? So the foundation to all of them is Dasya, being servant, right? So Sakya, friendship, has Dasya, the servant mood, plus the friendship mood on top of it. Then Vatsalya, the parental love, has Dasya, you know, a, a parental and a parental relationship. Parents, they have the mood of servant, and there's also a mood of friendship, Satya, but then plus Vatsalya, plus the parental affection comes on top of it. So Madhurya, conjugal, also has Dasya plus Sakya, friendship, plus parental affection is also there, even in conjugal relationship, even between husband and wife, there's also a parental affection there too, but then plus conjugal on top of it. So Dasya is there in all of them, right? So now, the thing is, you know, Krishna will only reveal to us our eternal relationship once we are more and more established in Dasya only. When all the different aspects of controlling, enjoying, and upadis, when that is all cleared away, then he will reveal to us, you know, what relationship we will have in the spiritual world. Very clearly we can understand, let us imagine, because that question also often comes up that people ask, so when I chant, 
should I imagine in my mind Radha Krishna and their nice pastimes and all this? Should I or shouldn't I? So what do you think? Yes or no? Let's get the chat box going here. What do you think? Should we imagine that we, uh, you know, we see in our minds Radha Krishna and the gopis and all that? No. Okay. Anybody else has some opinion there? No, no, no. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> yes. Now, we should not imagine, you know, because very clear, let us, let us imagine um, a person who is not firmly established in Dasya yet, who has so many desires to enjoy and control and, and, and when he or she thinks of Radha and Krishna, what will the mind say? Let's better keep the chat book out. <laughs> it won't take too much time. What will the mind say? Well, the mind will say, oh, Radha and Krishna, they're having such a nice time there together. I also want to be there and have a nice time with them together. Right? As long as we are not free from this enjoying propensities, this is what the mind comes up with. Right? But we don't want to cultivate that mood and water that kind of uh, weed there, you know, because then we become sahajias. But a person who is freed from this uh, mood of, of tendency of enjoying, who is firmly established in Dasya. So if that person sees Radha and Krishna on a picture or in the mind, what will that person's mind say? So that person's mind will say, Radharani, she is most expert in pleasing and sacrificing everything for Krishna's pleasure. She knows all the secrets, how to serve Krishna. I want to learn from her. I want to assist her. I want to know all her secrets. All I want is just be a tiny little speck there in her army of gopis and manjaris. And I want to somehow serve and be part of it and also, you know, learn the secrets of her. You know, so that's a whole different mood, right? Very subtle, but it's very different. You see? So that's why we should not prematurely or maybe artificially try to remember pastimes. No, all our only business is just chanting and longing to serve, turning mindfully to Krishna. Krishna, I know you're there. All I want to do is serve you and your devotees. That's all we have to do. We don't have to worry about anything else. And then gradually, if our heart is freed from all these propensities to enjoy and control, then gradually Krishna will reveal. Krishna will do the rest. We, we don't have to artificially, you know, wreck our brains or... You know, sometimes devotees also might think, oh, we have to read all this Goswami literature and, and, and. Well, careful, careful. It's all in the holy name. If we just chant, longing to serve, everything will come. And then when we are really on an advanced level, then we also get, get more, you know, then the, the, the heart will um, cultivate more bhakti when we read this. Uh, Goswami literatures, but if we jump up there artificially and prematurely, 
very easily we become sahajiyas. It's all in the holy name, really. We have to have that faith. You see. Yeah, so that's basically the second secret of success, this longing to serve. So now I do want to take a few more minutes just to really, in a nutshell, explain to you all the poisonous capsule. I was uh, hinting at that yesterday, and I am sure many of you are very good kirtaniers, right? These second generation devotees, you, you all have the kirtan mood in your blood. And this poisonous capsule may be of some importance to you and some relevance. So empty medicine capsule was when we leave Krishna out of the picture, we don't turn to Krishna and feelingly call out to him, longing for the relationship, but we just rattle down our rinds mechanically out of duty, you know. So that's the empty capsule. So now, in this second hour of rendering service, we can discriminate between the mood when we chant that we long to serve, but also we, we approach the chanting in a selfless service mood. Meaning, selfless service mood means we don't expect anything in return. Yeah. We are not chanting for some benefit. We are not chanting so we can experience bliss. No, no. Because sometimes people ask, well, you know, sometimes I feel so happy when I chant and sometimes I don't feel happy when I chant. Well, that's already the wrong question to ask. It, it doesn't matter how I feel, whether I feel happy or not happy. No, I should simply cry out to Krishna, long to serve. That's my business. Not, oh, when comes the bliss? And sometimes I feel happy and sometimes I don't feel happy. Already asking that question indicates that we expect to be happy. And this may be our reason why we chant, you know, to be happy. But that already is not chanting the holy name in pure service mood. It's not pure chanting, you know. The chanting is simply a way of crying out to Krishna and longing to serve. That's all. Doesn't matter whether I feel happy or not happy. Who cares? You know, that's not the issue. And even for any pious benefit, we shouldn't chant either. There's a verse in the Chaitanya Charamrita which also describes this, that we are not chanting for some, you know, material benefit, some physical health, this, that. We can pray, you know, that's a different thing. We can pray to Krishna, please, if you so desire, you know, let this devotee be longer on the planet. But we, we, we hand it over to Krishna. We really leave it up to him. Let him decide, you know. And, and we only pray that whatever the, happens to a person, he should remember Krishna. That's our prayer. Let him remember you, you know. But we are not, you know, in the chanting. The chanting of the Holy Name is not meant to, oh, please, Krishna, let it not be cancer or something, you know. 
Nein, nein, nein. Das ist, das ist Karma Kanda. Ja, ne? Das ist der the, the Fruit of um, Approach. So the chanting should be done purely wanting to connect with Krishna, wanting to reestablish this lost and forgotten relationship and wanting to serve, getting established in Dasya. That's what the chanting is meant for. So now, going back to the poisonous capsule, comes from His Holiness Sachinanda Swami. It's not coming for me. I'm just uh, yeah, taking it from him and passing it on. Uh, so the poisonous capsule is when we chant the holy name with some material motivation in Japa as well as in Kirtan also. By the way, empty capsule you know, is also, of course, in Kirtan too, not only in Japa. In Japa, we are also meant to connect with Krishna. It's a highly transcendental affair, this Kirtan. It's not just some jolly music or something. But, you know, a Kirtan is, becomes a good Kirtan. There's somebody unmuted, and I can hear some, some noise there in the background. Um, yes, kirtan. What makes a kirtan a good kirtan? Hare Krishna. Uh, Mother Deviki, you're... Um, sorry, I think you're muted. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, has this been already for a while? No, only uh, like the past 30 seconds. Past 30 seconds. Okay, good. Thank you for telling me. So now I'm back again. Huh? Okay. Yes. Yeah, no, I was somehow unmuted. I don't know. Somebody unmuted me. Yeah, yes, it's already. Just my um, helper here is checking on me, <laughs> helping out. Yes. So where was I? Oh, now I lost the track. Um, yeah, the kirtan. Hmm? Kirtan, what makes a good a kirtan? A good kirtan is not the musical expertise, but it is when the kirtaniya calls out to Krishna helplessly. That's what makes a kirtan a good kirtan. Yes, yeah. good to understand. So let me quickly put this in for all you kirtaniyas out there. What's the difference between Japa and Kirtan? So Japa is the individual internal work where I build the connection personally in my heart. It's more austere, more work, right? And then Kirtan is the spreading and Sankirtan together we chant. So now, what is more important, Japa or Kirtan? People usually, some people say Japa, some people say Kirtan, some people say both. So the answer is, yes, they're both important, but Japa is, sets the foundation to Kirtan. Yes. We can only lead a powerful Kirtan if we have good Japa. Because in the Japa, we establish that connection. 
And unless it is established in Japa, it will not be there in Kirtan because Kirtan has so many more distractions. There is the tune, there's the rhythm, there's the instrument, there's the, uh, the audience, you know, so many distracting elements. So it will be very difficult, if not to say impossible for us, to really mindfully turn to Krishna and call out in desperation to him in Kirtan if we have not established that collect, connection more tangibly in Japa already. So the foundation to powerful Kirtan is Japa. We better get this right because there is a bit of a trend now in our uh, ISKCON society that it's, oh, it's all Kirtan, 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 and Harinam, Sankirtan, the Yuga Dharma, and, 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 and oh, all these temple programs, and oh, no need, it's just all Kirtan, the holy name is pure, and, 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 well, the holy name is pure, but we have to chant it purely, you know, if it, if it is touched by the poisonous fangs of a serpent, then it becomes contaminated, sorry, you know, Yes, even Bhagavatam, you know, or same thing. That's why we should not hear from a materially motivated speaker, from a professional reciter, right? Same thing is there with Kirtan also. So the foundation to powerful Kirtan is Japa. So now my question, what is the foundation to Japa? Just to save time, I give the answer myself. It's Prabhupada's books, Srimad Bhagavatam especially, yes. Prabhupada's books give us that Sambandha Gyan, who am I, who is Krishna, what's this whole world all about, I have an eternal relationship. That Sambandha Gyan we have to get from Prabhupada's books every day, again and again and again. And the, until that Sambandha Gyan finally hits the heart, that we clearly understand, yes, I do have an eternal relationship with Krishna and I have been neglecting this for so many lifetimes. So now let me put an end to it. Let me turn towards Krishna and reestablish this connection and, 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 you know. So that's how they all go together. Bhagavatam sets the foundation to Japa and Japa sets the foundation to Kirtan. So all you talented Kirtaniers out there, you better get get into the Bhagavatam and your Japa. And only then your Kirtan will be powerful. Then it will be surcharged with, with spilt. Hare Krishna. Sorry. Uh guess we're having some technical difficulties. Mother David is uh, probably going to get back on. I'm just going to message her.
Okay, um, so for the time being, I guess we can just talk about uh, Mother Devaki's books. Um, there's a form out uh, which has all the orders. I think there's been 57 orders so far. So it's there's a lot of hype and it, they're really, really good, good books. So please do do order them. Um, they're going to be at a discounted price. I think someone requested to ask about the books as well. And there's the form has been up right now. Um, thank you, Yoshimuthi Mataji. Um, and yeah, so please do do just order them. Um, I guess I'm going to have to wait a few few minutes, few seconds for Mother Devaki to come. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Sorry about that. Somebody here on our temple, they switched off the fuse or something. Oh. <laughs> or, the, or, or the electricity was gone, you know. But here we are. We are back again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> we just wanted to leave you a little bit in suspense about the poisonous capsule. Yes. <laughs> to make you a little more eager here. So, all right, um, yeah, Kirtanias, we said, you know, we have to get it right that we put emphasis on Bhagavatam and Japa, and only that will really give our Kirtan that spiritual edge. Otherwise, it's just a performance. It's just some nice jolly music, but it will not affect the heart. So now, back to the poisonous capsule. If we chant the holy name in Japa or in Kirtan for some material motivation, some sense gratification, then the holy name becomes the poisonous capsule. We take the poisonous capsule. So in other words, when we use the holy name for you know, something else, then establishing our relationship with Krishna. If we use it to show off, basically, right? In Japa, as well as in Kirtan. And wow, Kirtan is, can be 
a, a good, uh, you know, uh, opportunity to show off. My God, it's going on massively. Yes, yes. You know, oh, my voice, oh, my medanga, oh, my cartels. You know, we can use Krishna consciousness in general simply to show off. And kirtan especially, especially if it is not based on solid japa and solid Bhagavatam reading, then easily empty capsule, as I said, very easily fills up with poison, right? Yes, because empty capsule, there's no satisfaction to the heart. So then we try to get the satisfaction from somewhere else, from showing off. I'm explaining this all in the Ford's Ego book, so you please better get it. It's this lot of important stuff in it, you know. Yeah, so that's what happens, you know, and that's the poisonous capsule. And in Japa, this can also go on. I mean, in the, I really hope one day I will get a chance to have a Papa Holy Name retreat with all of you, because it's really nice. It's, it's, it's fun, because we also do role plays. We do role plays, how to chant, how not to chant in Japa, in Kirtan the different capsules, you know, in Japa, in Kirtan, empty capsule, poisonous capsule, and, 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 and it's really, it really uh, deepens the learning experience, you know, when you, when you see it performed, you know. So, poisonous capsule in Japa is when we use the Japa chanting to show off. Oh, ecology, of course I chant 64 rounds. Don't you know? You don't chant 64 rounds? My God, I've been doing this for years. And then we put pictures. I'm chanting Jabba ecology, 64 rounds. And we put it on Facebook so the whole world sees, oh, wow, you know, must be very advanced already. And oh, the way we wear the chatter and here I am and this and that, you know. So, um, yes, this is poisonous capsule in, in Jabba. You know, and poisonous capsule and kirtan is if we change to show off, to bring attention to ourselves, even the instruments also, you know, and this is the power of consciousness. If we have that consciousness of wanting to show off and be recognized, that consciousness emanates through every pore of our skin and it comes out when we play the cartels. You know, when we want to be heard, then the cartels are always that touch too loud because we want to be noticed. You know, yes, yes. Even clapping is also an instrument in Kirtan. And I'm sure we all have that experience. Or sometimes there's somebody in the audience who always claps too loud to be heard. And, oh, you know, and, ah, it, if you're a little sensitive and perceptive, you can feel it contaminates the whole kirtan. You know? yeah. yeah, so in a nutshell, that's the poisonous capsule. If we use the holy name for our personal enjoyment and basically showing off or, you know, um, trying to get some money you know, money and fame, that's always the poisonous stuff, you know. Okay, so 11 o'clock in Germany, you have 10 o'clock. <laughs> so, um, so we ask quickly for a couple of questions.
Yeah. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you very much, Mataji, for such a wonderful talk and such a beautiful session. Uh, I'm just going to quickly go to the questions so we don't um, yes. waste time. Uh, first one is an anonymous question. Um, it's they're saying, I've personally found that I, if I engage in my physical yoga practice before chanting, I'm able to focus and stay seated for a longer period of time. Okay. Is partaking in physical yoga practice before chanting something you'd encourage, or is it not keeping Krishna as a priority? Well, if it helps you, why not? You know? But I wouldn't make it a general rule. I definitely would not want to do that, that you know, after Mongoladi, we first have to go in our rooms and do some yoga exercise. Otherwise, we can't chain properly or something. So I would not want to, you know, introduce that because, I mean, that was not Pad's formula, you know. He didn't say we first have to do some yoga. But if it personally helps you, you know, then fine. But let's also understand that the goal of our chanting is not that we do it sitting, you know. We can be very nicely sitting there for 10 hours, but the mind may be all over the place. So it's not the main and foremost thing to chant when we sit. And we, we were talking about that yesterday, that even Prabhupada was pacing up and down in his room. And he was saying to Shutakirti, it's okay to pace up and down. It's, it's not a problem, you know. So... Yeah, I mean, if it if it helps that person, why not? But we, we want to make sure that we don't spend too much time doing yoga and then there's only very little time left for the japa or something or the japa gets so late then and, and all this kind of thing. So it has to be well balanced, you know, like that. Okay, what else? Um, the next question is also anonymous. It's... Um, Sometimes when we chant our rounds inattentively, we can get in the cycle of putting ourselves down. How do we stop ourselves from getting, getting ourselves in this cycle? Okay. Yeah, well, um, we can say there is two ways of being regretful. There is mundane regret and lamentation. And there's spiritual regret and lamentation. So what's the difference? You know, spiritual is always when we see things in connection with Krishna. Mundane is when it is disconnected with Krishna. So mundane regret and lamentation, we keep ourselves still in the center. Oh, I'm so fallen. Oh, I can never do it. Oh, there's no hope for me. Oh, my God. So we go in circles around ourselves. It's a kind of self-indulgence, actually. And Krishna is not even in the picture, you know. It's just me. I'm, a, I'm in the center. And it's all about me. And we, we just really, as, you know, self, too self-focused uh, or conscious and go around circles about ourselves. So, but spiritual lamentation and regret is... That we put Krishna in the center. Yes, I'm hopeless. I'm a fool. I can't do it. Let me take shelter of Krishna. Please, Krishna. And we call out to Krishna in our helplessness. You know, please help me to chant attentively. I want to put an end to this inattentiveness. You know, then we move Krishna in the center. And that kind of regret and helplessness is wanted, is needed. 
His Holiness Govinda Maharaj, he gave this wonderful analogy of saying an ISKCON temple is like a crying school where we have to learn to cry out to Krishna. Very nice. You know, Bhaktivedanta Manor, fantastic crying school. So now you all have to learn how to cry out to Krishna. You know, yeah, that's really the essence of Krishna consciousness, to cry out to Krishna. You know, but we shouldn't lament just about myself. You know, that's a self-indulgence, right? Yeah, difference clear. Yeah. Thank you very much for answering, Haji. Um, there's another question which is also anonymous. Uh, it said, they're asking, you, you mentioned we shouldn't be aspiring to be happy when chanting. How is this different from relishing the taste of the holy name? How do I differentiate between my happiness and the natural bliss slash taste that comes from chanting? Yes. See, the point is we should not serve or chant with that motivation that I want to be happy. This is not only in chanting, this is in every service. If we serve because we want to be happy and we expect our joy, we will guarantee we will be uh, disappointed, you know, and that, that taste will not come because the taste only comes if we do our service selflessly. No matter whether we are happy or distressed, we just simply want to serve, you know, the, the shikshastikam, you know, what's the verse? Even if you handle me roughly by not being present before me and so on, you know, yes. So that, that's the mood, you know? And if the more selfless we are in all our service, the more blissful we will be, you know? But if we perform our service to be blissful, we will not be blissful. And it's the same thing in chanting also. If we simply chant because we want to cry out to Krishna and we want to reestablish this relationship, you know, then as we become free from our material desires and, and attachments, we will actually get a taste for chanting. But if we chant with that attitude that I want to be blissful, then we will not get it. Huh? Okay. Um, thank you, Mataji. Um, there's another anonymous question. So they're asking, if we are somewhat distressed by something okay. and want to, want to turn to Krishna, uh, and try to take shelter of him when we turn to him asking for relief in that situation that isn't selfless how do how to how do we take shelter of krishna in times of distress but do so in a selfless mood okay good question well i mean see the vaishnav humility brings us to the point that we feel actually i deserve so much worse I deserve so much more suffering. But Krishna is so kind. He only gives me one drop of what I really deserve. You see? So, in that way, you know, and I mean, Queen Kunti also prayed for the calamities to come again and again. You know, so actually, this is why Krishna sends suffering. He is trying to help us to feel helpless. Because this helplessness is so important. You know, that's why in, in first canto, Prabhupada actually says a person who is, who is uh, you know, uh, 
um, who, who is focusing on the on the material op opulences and who has high birth, good wealth, high education, and bodily beauty. Very easily, these material opulences, they can become an impediment in Krishna consciousness. Why? Because they lead to pride. You know, then when, when we are proud, how can we call out in helplessness? So because this helplessness is so important, that's why Krishna helps us to feel helpless by sending us some earthquake, some coronavirus, some cancer. I've had cancer two times and believe it or not, they were the best experiences in my whole Krishna consciousness. Yes, yes, yes. So I'm speaking out of experience. You really get some realizations when you stand a little closer to the edge, you know? Yeah. Oh, yes. I had a really good time. Yeah. <laughs> In these journeys. <laughs> so, yes. Um, yeah. So these, these calamities, we can, a devotee knows the art, how to turn around calamities and make them into a great opportunity to, for spiritual advancement by taking shelter. Yes, and then Krishna reveals himself. He becomes more tangibly visible to us. And, and that way a devotee can be very joyful even when they go through cancer. I also experienced that because, yeah, it was a really nice time, sweet time, you know. And then as I was recovering, Krishna was fading a little bit away again in the distance because I was not so helplessly taking shelter, you know. Yeah, so... Uh, these calamities are the best opportunity if we really uh, take shelter. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Mathji. Um, so there's another question from Facebook. They're okay. asking, Hare Krishna, Mataji, please accept my humble obeisances. I have a question. Is that necessary to sit? Is it necessary to sit at one place and chant 16 rounds? And if one walks and chants, is it okay? Is it wrong? We talked about that yesterday. Yeah. Yes. No. Other question. They can listen to the recording, and there we talked about it yesterday. Anything else? Um, there's another anonymous question. Why do we chant 16 rounds, and why that number? Even that we also discussed yesterday. You know, they were not joining us yesterday. But it's the medicine. It's the it's the doses. And doses has to be steady, you know, but we talked about it yesterday. Only give me questions which we haven't talked about yet. I think, I think that's all. Uh, if oh. anybody else wants to ask more questions, please do send them. Yes. But yeah, I don't think there are any more. I mean, they can also re uh, correspond with me, you know, my email is devaki at pamho.net. So you, you can send me an email and... I also have a Facebook page. What is it? Somebody else is arranging it for me. Here, uh, facebook.com slash Institute for Spiritual Culture. So you can, and I also have a traveling diary. I post that on my websites. I have two websites, therootsofspiritualculture.net or theholynameretreat.net. And there I'm also posting the diaries. So you can somehow stay in touch if you like, you know, and you can also write some questions to me personally if you like. So, yeah. Oh, um, yes. Sorry, Mother Devi, Mother Devi, there's another question actually that just came. Right. Um, 
it's an anonymous one. They're asking, how can I feel dependent on Krishna when I feel in control and not in distress? And when I feel that I am, uh, she's asking when, when, I, uh, when I feel that I'm not in distress. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that reminds me of the question, you know, how, how can I cry out to Krishna if I don't feel like crying out? So the answer is, well, then cry out that you can't cry out. But somehow we have to start crying in some way, you know. So, you know, and we, when we hear these things again and again, you know, um, then we, we understand more and more how important it is to feelingly chant the holy name, to appeal to Krishna, feelingly, you know. And if there's just no, no feeling there, then we can lament and cry out about that. You know, and we can lament that we have neglected that relationship for so many lifetimes. You know, and now I want to put an end to it. So it is a matter of cultivating, you know, those those moods. You know, we have to cultivate, you know, because maybe some of you have never really heard these things before. Maybe I don't know. So then, all right, let's start cultivating. And we, can, we have to be a little patient, you know? I mean, we, we, we've spent so many lifetimes in forgetfulness of Krishna, so we can't think that just within six months or something, the, it's all transformed or something, you know? So we, we have to be patient and persistent. But the point is when Krishna sees, you know, we, we make some little steps towards him. He responds. You know, Krishna is there, Paramatma, in the heart, patiently waiting. So if we just, you know, want to have some little desire to actually turn to Krishna feelingly, then Krishna will respond, you know, Krishna will help us. And then that will encourage us and that will give us faith. And yeah, Krishna is there and he responds, you know. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much, Mnadivhi. Um, I think that's that's it for the questions. Yeah. I'm just I'm just gonna quickly uh, round everything off, and I just want to say thank you so much um, for giving us such nourishing information about Krishna and, and Japa and how we can improve. Um, and when you start talking about barfies, my I really really want food now. <laughs> but um, I just want to say thank you so much on the Devaki for such an amazing group of lectures. They were so nourishing and very introspective. Um, I've actually realized how uselessly I've been chanting myself and <laughs> obviously that I need to throw away my clicker. <laughs> I'm not going to use that ever again. Yeah. Um, yeah, we are so lucky to have you here and I just want to say how grateful we are um, to you for giving us your wisdom and your knowledge. Uh, thank you so much for giving us your time. Okay. I would like to say that we have 79 orders for your books. So Wow, fantastic. Good. So, Good. And also if anybody else does want to order um, there's a form on, on the chat, so please do. Um, yeah, so you, you have to send me by email, you know, yeah. we correspond about it, yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, I also want to thank all of you for joining this, and I really had a nice time. I have to admit, I have so far not been much into this internet preaching, you know, but I am getting a taste, you know, definitely. And yeah, yeah just at least seeing a few little pictures there of you that... I feel, yes, I'm talking to some people here because I like to be very 
I'm a personalist. I like to talk to people and reach their hearts and I like to have eye contact and I never do any PowerPoint presentations. I don't like to have my audience there.